JJ Cooper, Jeff Ponce here. We're wrapping up the Rule 5 draft. The winter meetings are almost over. I'm uh, starting to pack here, get ready to head back from Nashville, as are a lot of other people. I saw a lot of suitcases when I was headed back to my room. But Jeff, before we do that, we're going to have a lot of Rule 5 talk here, maybe a little bit on the draft lottery. But we do have to start with something that when we started planning this podcast, we weren't necessarily sure we were going to be doing. But the news has broken that Juan Soto is, as we record this on, is it Wednesday? It's Wednesday. Wednesday afternoon. The news has broken that Juan Soto is about to be traded to the Yankees from the Padres. And it seems like at this point, it is so close that it is worth talking about. We know the names of the players. We know pretty much everything. And so with that being the case, Jeff, I think we have to start with what are, what the the winter meetings that, not us, because there's the draft lottery, there's the Rule 5 draft. You're not going to hear me ever complain about a, quote, boring, boring winter meetings. I had a year where there was not a Major League Rule 5 draft. You will not hear me complain about that. But what was thought of as, quote, a boring winter meetings is wrapping up with a bang, it looks like here, with Juan Soto headed to New York. Yeah, and I think this was one of the three storylines that, Heading into the winter meetings, everybody was sort of concerned with. One was being, of course, Shohei Otani and his free agency. And we've kind of been teased with little bits and, and drips and drabs in terms of leaks about who he's been meeting with, et cetera. Uh, you know, Yamamoto uh, coming over and signing from Japan, which I did not expect to necessarily happen during this, this period. But, of course, that would have been another big one to drop. And then, of course, Juan Soto. And it seems as if we finally have this deal happening Uh as he's he's joined by Trent Grisham potentially, an incredibly uh, crowded outfield situation now in New York. I mean, on the major league roster and some prospects uh, that you know some that debuted last year, like Jason Dominguez. Um, so a lot of outfield depth now, and I wonder if uh, once this transaction is final, just kind of thinking big picture with the Yankees, does this push Aaron Judge to a DH role full time, and then? Maybe Giancarlo Stanton uh, is bought out potentially, or I, I'm just I'm throwing it out there, but it does seem like there's a lot of sort of mouths to feed here, and it, with a few of these players, they could potentially upgrade themselves defensively, especially when you consider they added Alex Verdugo yesterday to a trade. So Yankees very busy. So we we heard reports last week. Oh, the price that the Padres are asking is is much too high. Um, which generally seems to be how negotiations go, is, is that the two sides don't agree on uh, on the price and then they negotiate till they get to the point of the price. But now that it's here, what do you think about the price that the Yankees have paid in return for one soda? Yeah, I think Michael King is a very intriguing starting pitching, uh, we'll say prospect, even though he is obviously past his status, et cetera. But somebody that I think a lot of people view could be a potential breakout if he wasn't an opportunity to be in a starting role full time. Uh, has been a really, really good reliever for quite a long time now. Really good stuff. Um, I think he is the centerpiece of this deal, truly, to my, to, from my perspective. Um, Drew Thorpe, top 10 guy in the Yankee system, breakout pitching prospect, um, you know, had some amateur pedigree, really polished, beat pitch mix, you know, throw strikes, competes. Um, 
I think he's a no doubt starter. In terms of what the role is, I'd probably lean more four or five starter, and that's typically what I've gotten. Um, just you know, being around scouts when Yankees affiliates are playing games up here in the Northeast. Uh, Vasquez, interesting player, kind of a swingman. I would say, sort of not really a starter. Can go a few innings, maybe could you know uh, eventually figure it out as like a a leverage reliever at one point. He does have good stuff and a great you know a, a feel for spin. You know, Brito, pretty good. And and then uh, and Kyle Higashioka, who you know, solid defensive catcher. He's had some seasons in the minors where he's you know been solid offensively. Had some major league time as well. So you know, not an overwhelming package. They got some pieces. They got some depth. I think for an expiring player, and I think with Brish and someone they kind of wanted to ship out. Not an awful return, but not something where you're like, oh my god, there's no. Henry Lalane in this deal. There's none of their top hitting prospects in this deal, you know, in addition to some of these guys. Um, so, you know, not a bad deal. The Yankees had the depth from, from the minor league uh, system from which to deal. And I think King was a guy that, you know, is probably better off in another organization where he's going to get more of a straightforward role and probably more of an opportunity to be a starter. I, that's where yeah, I come away from this. And this is one of those deals where not that, the Padres aren't getting something in return. You, you, I think sure. laid it up pretty well. But that said, if you're New York, you do this t- trade a hundred times out of a hundred, a hundred and ten times out of a hundred. Like you ask, can we do this ten more times? Can we figure out a way? Because like it's just you are adding one of the best hitters in baseball, one of the best hitters of the 21st century. Let's just be clear. And yes, I, I am a little bit. Um, uh, interested to how their defense is going to work out. Um, they really, if everyone's healthy, Trent Gersham is going to spend a lot of days on the bench and Aaron Judge is going to spend a lot of days in center field mm. if the current roster format is as constructed because the Stanton is going to DH, Verdugo, Soto, and Judge is your outfield. And then obviously... In later innings, if you've got a lead, you can bring Gresham in, in 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 center and slide Judge over to right, or give Judge the rest of the night off if you're up by ten or or whatever. But you just put this all together, and and that's not ideal from a defensive standpoint potentially, but it's just a great trade from a offensive standpoint. And yeah, yes, it is one year of him. It's most likely one year, and then off he goes. But at the same time, it's one of the easiest. I'm going to give him a qualifying offer knowing that he will never take it kind of deals as as well. And you also know that you're not going to have to worry that Juan Soto is not going to sign a contract in time to get you that pick for the qualifying offer. So, yes, I mean, this is an easy one. For the Padres, it's a much tougher one because I, I do think it's just a reality. It's kind of admission. It didn't work. And here we go. Yeah, and I think I think adding some starting pitching depth, um, whether it's at the major league level, close to the major leagues, that's something that the Padres kind of lack quality in. And these are all quality arms that I think you know are definitely easy forty you know forty man types if they had been in the organization prior. So you know there's no loss there whatsoever at all. So totally agree with you there. It's a potentially interesting mood, you know, until it's official. Um, but definitely one right. At this point, it seems unlikely that it will fall apart. But, you know, we do we do know this is not official as we're talking about it. And it's not the big news of the day. No, it is the big news of the day. But we also had today 
for Jeff and I, big news, which is we had the Rule 5 draft. We had the Major League and Minor League phases of the Rule 5 draft. A 10-player Major League phase, which is, as we expected, one of the briefest, one of the smallest, one of the shortest Major League phases of the Rule 5 draft in the 21st century. Um, there's in, Since 2000, I'll say that. Since 2000, there was 2000 had 10 players picked. 2013 had nine. This year's 10 equals 2000 for the second fewest players picked in the major league phase in the 21st, you know, or since 2000. And a lot of pitchers, as we expected, a lot of Yankees pitchers. And that's also not surprising, as we noted in our in our story right away. The Yankees are the team that gets rated. If you go from 2000 on, the Yankees are the team that gets rated in the Rule 5 draft more than anyone else and mainly it's because their pitchers get rated and jeff you were kind of high on a number of those players i the final outcome for us there were 10 players taken as if you're a baseball america subscriber you could read write-ups on eight of them we had seven in our main preview and then we also will give credit uh robo scout our secondary piece that uh dylan white uh put together with a little help from jeff uh, Stephen Kolick was in that as well as a name to watch. So that gives us eight of the 10. We did miss out on Anthony Molina. That's on me because he's a raised prospect and I didn't include him. And then we missed out on uh, Carson Coleman, the uh, last of the three Yankees pitchers to go. And that one, we did not hear that name before. We heard Molina's name. We heard Kolick's name. Failed to write him up. That's on, you know, we're banging our heads against the wall on that one. Uh, but we did not hear uh, Carson Coleman's name before. Uh, before we did it so our goal of having a year where we're going to write up every player pre-draft for the rule five draft it remains unfulfilled but we're getting closer 80 percent, jeff 80 percent. yeah 80 percent. and uh if we had maybe more to work with we might have been able to get a few more too but um you know i think one thing i'm going to take away one one uh blind spot a market inefficiency so to speak within my own process is I need to compile a list of players who were good the previous season, but were injured for the entirety of the of yes you know the season prior. So yeah, I, you know Crow is somebody like that falls into the, that category that I think if we had just looked at stuff and performance from the 2022 season, he might have been somebody that potentially had popped. But yeah, it didn't even pop in obviously because. There's no numbers because he didn't pitch at all uh, as he came back from a, an arm injury and elbow surgery, but they did not specify Tommy John surgery for what it's worth. The thing that also stands out with that, though, and we noted this also, um, a lot of the players were taken. You said this before the draft ever. I remember you and I talking about this because might not shock you listening to this, that Jeff and I like to talk about the Rule 5 draft a lot and lead up to the Rule 5 draft. But you mentioned that a lot of the most interesting players were ones who were who were kickbacks, who were throwbacks, in that this was their second or third uh, Rule 5 draft where they were eligible. And if you look at the majority of players who were taken today, it was not players who are first-time eligibles. It was players who have been eligible once or twice before, and this year is the year they got popped. Uh, Matt Sauer, you know, obviously the second pick, Mitch Spence, the first pick, those are both examples of that. But most of the players, the majority of the players taken today, this was not their first time going through the Rule 5 draft. What, what Any theories why that is, Jeff? Well, I think part of it is when you're looking at the type of demographics that get taken heavily in the Rule 5 draft, it's not necessarily players that were 
highly regarded as you know either preps, JUCO, or college players. It's often players that fall in that 10 to 20 round range that have incrementally improved or taken a big jump at one point. I think you have to have high minors experience. And more often than not, there's a lot of guys that get to double A for the first time or triple A for the first time. And, you know, maybe they didn't have sort of a ton of success in the lower minors uh, at a point where, you know, it's terms of strike throwing, because a lot of these are pitchers, to be quite honest with you. Um, Eight of the 10 this year. Make them want to, you know, a team wants to take them, but they can take a step in a year, not be eligible for the bullpen, and then, you know, figure something out. Eight of the 10 players taken the major league phase this year are pitchers. There's only two position players, both of which I do think are among the most interesting players who are taking this draft. So, okay. If I give you Nassim Nunez versus Davison De Los Santos, the former Marlins top, you know, top 10 prospect or very recently top 10 prospect, De Los Santos, who's been a Diamondbacks top 10 prospect, which one, which pick, are you more excited about the possibility of, of them sticking and or making an impact? I think if we're talking ceiling, um, it's De Los Santos just because of the power and the component that he could kind of add uh, into that Cleveland lineup if the changes. And, and he did have some improvements, made some adjustments in terms of his hand position setup and um, some of his swing decisions, uh, coincidentally, over the second half of the season. So I think, you know, the Guardians were probably looking at that. Um, in terms of likelihood to stick, I think Nunez has a much better chance to stick because he does make contact. He's not going to embarrass you out there. He can play a ton of positions defensively. He can play some shortstop at a above average level, maybe plus even. He's a good runner. Um, so he can fill a lot of different roles. He's more of your typical utility kind of bench player. Um, but, you know, I think De Los Santos, if you want to say, who has the higher upside as a major leaguer? Who would I want to be more excited about? And more interested to see how they pan out over the next year or so it's the Los Angeles. I, I completely agree with you on both aspects of that. The uh the thing that just seems hard for me is is it is easy for me to figure out a way that the Nationals could carry Nunez, which is we know that he's not going to probably be able to hit this year. All we're counting on, all we're hoping for is, is if Nassim Nunez shows up is the plus defender at shortstop who can play second, who can play multiple positions that is within his realm of capabilities. And he also shows, which again, is going to be making a jump, but shows base stealing ability, speed on the bases where he can pinch run. The idea would be, okay, we're carrying you as the 26th man on the roster. You're our 13th position player. And yeah, we can't send you down, but you're going to provide value for that. We're going to be okay with that. In De Los Santos's case, he has to hit to be, if he's anything other than being stashed on the roster, which generally destroys a player's ability to be a productive big leaguer down the road because they kind of lose that whole year. Um, other than that, like he's going to have to be at least power off the bench. I'm not saying an everyday player or anything like that. I think that would be asking a lot. But you're going to have to say that the strikeouts are in control enough that he's going to get to his, let's be clear, very real power, absolutely legit power. But that's just, it seems like, I, I would say, Jeff, that that's a tougher one to uh, to pull off. When there's when there's less clear major league quality 
tools available, you know, in the overall profile. I think that it does make it tougher, um, you know, but maybe the Guardians feel like they saw something in the video and they're scouting um, of De Los Santos over the second half and those changes that he's one of those guys that if his approach and his contact, part of it is the swing decision, gets to a point where he can more consistently get to that power. He is a guy that could probably break out, you know, let's say he went back to the Diamondbacks next year and that was mm-hmm. the case. He's a guy that could maybe push himself to the major leagues just because of the, the quality of that that contact. Right. There are a pretty nice number of players you can look back on and say they were identified, they were picked in the Rule 5 draft, they didn't stick, and then they went on to have success. Jose Bautista, I think, would be one that, that jumps out the most on that. But yeah. to kind of look again at some of the trends on this, seven right-handers this uh, this year after out of 10 picks, 70%. Well, in the Rule 5 2000 to present, counting this year, 52% of all players taken in the Major League Phase of Rule 5 draft are right-handers. Another 19% are lefties. We had one this year. So in a normal year, 70% of the players taken are pitchers. And then the rather 30% are position players. This year we had one shortstop, normally that's 7% of the uh, Rule 5 draft. And then we had one third baseman, which is truly rare. There's only been six other third basemen picked in the, uh, in the, since 2000, in the 22, I believe, Rule 5 drafts we've had since 2000. Um, if you want to call De Los Santos a first baseman, which is also could be argued, he would become the ninth. So either way you put him, it's among a pretty rare group. But more importantly than that, we're going to, I'm going to ask Jeff who his pick to click among the rule five is. Maybe he pulls out a minor league phase, although I'm guessing not. But we're going to do that right after this quick break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't a search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. That's why I use Indeed for our hiring at Baseball America. It allows me to do everything on one website. I get quality candidates. I can schedule them. I can interview them. I can screen them. I can send messages to them all within Indeed. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we're back. So, Jeff, who is the player that was taken today? that you think if we rewound this a year ago, a year from now today, where hopefully both of us will be worn out, but also excited having digested yet another Rule 5 draft, who's the player that you think we'd be looking back on and saying that was a, a, a pretty astute pick by the fill in the link? I think it's Justin Slayton. 
Um, we saw him go in the draft uh, and then get traded almost immediately for a team that picked after um, the team that picked him. So uh, he's the one that I think it, it to me has a good shot of, of sticking. Um, you know, the Mets have an opportunity to, to grab him. Red Sox then trade for him. It shows me obviously pretty easily and clearly that multiple teams are in on him. Um, and he was a guy that uh, I thought the numbers and my process identified as being really good. Uh, the robo scores, he was, I think, number one amongst players that had high minors experience. Um, and then he was third in terms of overall stuff grades from uh, Dylan White as well. So the, the, the data backed it, some of the, you know, Scouting reports that we got backed it. Um, the feedback was pretty consistent. He was going to get taken. So I think Slayton is, and I think he's in a situation in Boston where um, they have a lot of fringy relievers and not any guys that have the big stuff like he does um, and the ability to land it in the zone. So Slayton for me is is the pick to stick. I cannot disagree with you in any way, shape, or form. That would be my pick as well. That is the player that I feel both of us were most confident about last couple of days that he would be taken that we thought, you know, we were hearing this from numerous teams uh, that there was uh, that name was bouncing around, but since you picked him, I, I, I do feel the need to, to throw someone else out and I'll go with Matt Sauer. Um, Sauer was a dude, you know, coming out of the draft and has had kind of those moments, but he's had injuries also injuries kind of slowed him down. That said, he did have, if you count double A, he does have upper level minor league experience. One of the, I love the profile of the guy who's a starter who, okay, as a rule five pick, not many rule five picks go straight into rotation. Uh, Brad Keller did that, I believe, if I remember correctly, but there just aren't many of those. It's much more likely that you're going to be, even if you're a multi inning reliever, a multi inning reliever who can make a spot start, something like that. And I really like the idea of Sauer kind of stepping into that role. Uh, where he doesn't, you know, again, you're not you're not asking him to to carry a rotation or anything like that. But also being picked by the Royals, a team that that actually also may have some starts available at some point during the season, depending on it. But I, I do I do think that they're a team that if Sauer, I don't think that Sauer has to be the fifth best reliever, the sixth best reliever necessarily in camp. If he's seventh or eighth, it's probably worth carrying him the possibility of uh, again adding him to your roster for the long term which obviously is the podcast i do want to spell out with all of these major league phase rule five drafts you pay a hundred thousand dollars right away and you have to carry the player on your active roster all season before to answer the question that you just had when you heard that that said but what if they get hurt you can put a guy on the il what you cannot do is option the player to the minors a player who is in the rule, who is selected in the Rule 5 draft, cannot be optioned to the minors. If you option the player, he then is basically put back in the pool. Any other team who wants to can claim said player, put them on their MLB active roster, and then they have the rights to the player. But the normal roster rules, the normal restrictions where you can send a guy to the minors if they have options, things like that, that will not apply until all these players taken have carried been carried on the active roster without being optioned for the 2024 season. And to answer the third question for the five of you who got to the next step, which is, well, what about a player like, uh, you know, Carson Coleman or someone who 
there are players who have had injury issues. What about if a player is not ready to play? What if they spend most of the year or all of the year on the IL? The answer to that question is, is that you have to then be, if you go through the full, your first full season without having 90 days on the MLB active roster, you have to reach 90 days on the MLB active roster before you can be optioned. And the example that's the perfect example for that of all time, or at least that I can come up with, is Daniel Winkler, who was taken by the Braves from the Rockies. And he would, knowing the Braves took him, knowing that he had Tommy John surgery, so he did not pitch that next year. The year after that, he comes out, he pitches, and then he has a pretty significant injury. So he misses almost the entirety of that second season. Then, if my memory serves, and I'm not looking this up, but he then... It, it took, I believe it was year four that he actually hit the 90 days, uh, if, I, if I remember correctly. Maybe it was year three. But he did hit the 90 days, and at that point, then you can option him to the minors, just like any other player. But you have to check that box off. So that's kind of the probably way too long-winded explanation of some of the various minor Oh, and by the way, the one other one is, is if you if you do send the player back, then the team that you that lost the player can take him back but they have to give $50,000 of the $100,000 that you paid for the rights to the player. They have to give that 50,000 back, or they can say, no, we're keeping the full 100,000. And in that case, the team that offered the player back gets to keep the player. Or they can also work out a trade where it's like, we like the player, but we don't, we want an option of the minors and they can work out a trade. That's cool. Also. Sorry, that's probably way too long winded, but, but Jeff, the other part that I do want to check, people should check out baseballamerica.com. We have, analysis of every player who's taken the major league phase, but we also have some picks to click in the minor league phase, which I, I want you to talk. I, I need a drink of water. I'm not going to explain the whole rules in the minor league phase other than to say, once you play a minor league player, you pay 24 K and that player goes on your roster. There are no offer backs. There's nothing, no roster restriction, anything like that, but give, give our podcast listeners a player that you really like a, an interesting player from the minor league phase. Yeah, um, you know, I was uh, I was kind of surprised when I had learned that uh, Ryan Fitzgerald was left unprotected at the AAA level. Um, I had heard about that pretty early in, in the Rule 5 research. Um, he's a guy that had become a bit of a folk hero in Worcester, um, older guy. You know, I, I had multiple scouts over multiple years that liked him, can play just about every position but catcher. Um, not that you necessarily want to start him at shortstop or third base, base consistently, but um, sort of a, a grinder type. Uh, there is some power there. It's kind of fringy, um, raw power, but in terms of the angles, really consistently makes pretty good contact. Likes to chase a little bit, but there is enough contact there. Um, and he's been a productive player at AAA for a couple of years. So uh, to get him for free, I think he's a guy that, you know, maybe is the back end of your 40 man, kind of an up and down type, but um, an interesting player. And he dropped down to the Royals in the, the third round, actually. So he's somebody that I thought was really interesting. Um, Brandon Hardy from the Mets, uh, who the Rockies ended up taking third overall, was somebody that um, had actually been rumored to go number one overall in the minor league phase with a couple of analysts that I've spoken with uh, sort of after the draft had already taken place. And he's kind of interesting I, as well. I, I do love that. Like, you know, okay. And by the way, uh, listeners, if you were looking for our pre-draft uh, MILB phase mock draft and you missed it, don't worry. We didn't actually do that. We we are we are utterly 
crazy when it comes to this, but we even we have limits. And that would be the Miley phase mock. I, so I just bring that up because Jeff, you said like was expected to go one one in uh, some, you know, like. So I just want to make sure that no. I was saying from from the that. from the analysts after okay. the draft. That's what I heard from them because that's that's not something that I would have known. Now, <laughs> right, we, hey, I'm not saying it's outside of the realm of something we would think about, but then we oh. would also have to do a sanity check and say that's probably going too far. Well, that was a little reporting there. <laughs> but um. No, I, I do think the other thing that does stand out, and we see this every year, there are names where you go, oh, you know, and I would say like TJ Sikama going to the Reds at uh, 14th in the first round of the minor league phase. I would say probably the biggest example of this year would be uh, Seth Beer going in the second round of the uh, the minor league phase to the Pi- to the Pirates from the D-backs, which... That's uh, just a reminder. Like there, there wasn't that many years ago that Seth Beer was uh, was the freshman of the year at Clemson, and you know there were there again there were a lot of people at the time who thought you know in cat fans observers thought oh this is gonna be the one one pick, and it's like no that that's not a profile that generally becomes a one one pick. And again, he's, he has made the majors and all that, but Seth Beer did make an appearance in the minor league phase, which again does mean that you were. Okay, yes, I'm now giving more explanation, but it does mean that you were both left off the 40-man roster and you were left off the AAA roster. You would have to be on the AA roster or below, which generally means that the team has chosen to protect 70 to 75 players and that you are not one of those is, is why you are available in the minor league phase, which often is an opportunity for players, though, because let's just be blunt and honest about it. If you're left off of the AAA roster and available in the minor league phase, it probably means that you aren't in the long-term plans of the team that you're currently on. And if you're picked in the minor league phase, it means that the team that picks you may have some interest and may have some some designs on you having kind of a little bit more of a long-term role because there was something they saw that they really liked. I, I will spin it to the positive, but again, the minor league phase is obviously a pretty different bird than the, uh, than the major league phase, right, Jeff? Yeah, much lower stakes, but I think um, there's probably more effort uh, per team put forth toward the minor league phase. Uh, when I talk about folks in front offices, you know, analysts and and you know um, R and D departments, you know, it, it seems like a lot of it is you know focused on the minor league rule five and finding some some hidden gems there because there's just less less restrictions in terms of having to keep the player. It's more or less pick and and pay and he's yours the major league phase the having to carry a player for the full year but also having to carry a player on the roster on the 40-man roster all off season from here on out that is a pretty significant concern it's an easy sell if you like a player in the minor league phase because it's just a matter of paying the twenty-four thousand, and that's it that's it it's over but we do want to since we are here talking about the winter meetings it's also worth us probably touching on the other, probably, okay, as much as we love the Rule 5, the bigger news that happened also in our world, which is yesterday we saw the Cleveland Guardians uh, finish with the first pick in the draft lottery and Cincinnati Reds got the second pick. Before then, the teams who were expected, the teams who had the highest odds of going one, two, three, ended up going after them. And Jeff, I mean, I, we, don't, we covered this pretty extensively at BaseballAmerica.com. But I do think it's worth just kind of throwing it out to you. Like, what does that mean, do you think, 
for the Guardians and the Reds in the short and long term to go from expecting to have kind of a, uh, in the Guardians case, probably a good pick, but, you know, a, a later of the, you know, top 10, a late top 10 pick, in the Reds case, a pick in the teens, and to go to one and two, and also the financial ramifications that means as far as bonus pools. Yeah, I think the bonus pool is the biggest part of it, especially in a year like this where there's no consensus at one and there's a variety of options and ways that you can go there uh, and potentially pull quite a bit of money down the board, which you know would give you the flexibility, I think, in a draft where, you know, having had a couple conversations with Carlos, it looks like it's pretty interesting from like 40 to 100 or so. So um, this is a year where that's a, a lot of power. These are teams that... Um, have done a pretty good do- job of drafting um, historically. And, you know, in the recent, uh, not too far back, uh, uh, recent memory, have had pretty good minor league systems that have ranked fairly high uh, as well. Um, the Reds, you know, a team that finished above 500, really exciting young core, still some young um, prospects that have not, you know, matriculated, matriculated to the major leagues yet that are really interesting. This adds in another player and maybe even loosens up a couple of guys where they're like, hey, we can maybe ship out a couple more guys than we had expected to because, um, you know, we have a plethora of sort of opportunity coming in in the draft next year that we didn't anticipate we were going to get. Um, you're going to get, a, you know, a, a top two player in the draft um, and then, you know, potentially pull somebody down with bonus pool money. It's it's. It's really interesting how those two teams made out when you consider one was above 500 this year and one of them made the playoffs last year. So these aren't bad organizations and, you know, they have pretty solid farm systems and development programs and um, major league teams that could potentially compete in the near future. The other thing that stands out to me about this is I, I know there was a lot of decrying about this and all, but this is this is by design. The Oakland A's are the losers of this in that they won the fourth pick. But again, winning the fourth pick in this case means they, quote, won the sixth pick last year in a five-player draft when they were had the odds to be one, two, or three, had the best had equal for the best odds to go to get one first, second, or third pick. Then this year they get the fourth pick, and that means that next year they will not be able to select. They will pick 10th at best because you cannot have back-to-back-to-back lottery picks if you're a team that receives revenue sharing. And in, in that case, you are, you're talking about a situation where it's not going to make a difference probably in how much money they spend because there's a for sale sign as far as, actually there's a we're moving sign, I should say. And they're kind of in this purgatory until then, as far as the owners just going to, does not seem like that they're really making an effort to try to win in the interim. But I will say this, and again, this is, will be true for other teams too. You can't say that there's you no longer is there a competitive benefit of tearing a team down to nothing and winning 50 games. The A's won 50 games last year. They won 60 games the year before that. And that means they, despite that, they will not have a top three pick in three straight years. We know even with the worst record in baseball in the last two years, you could argue that that maybe is unfair because there are other teams who are really bad who also are missing out for this, but, the whole point of this is is that add a little bit of randomness and kind of try to keep this from being a situation where 
there is a massive competitive benefit from being truly awful. And you know, you, again, if that's a topic that interests you, check it out, baseballamerica.com. We also wrote about that today. There's a lot up at baseballamerica.com, which is kind of crazy because we also sent our, uh, our issue, our, our December issue to press today, which has all of our awards in it for the year, plus all of the AL top tens, a lot in that issue, double issue. And we're now getting cranking on making sure that we finish up the prospect handbook. The Almanac, if you haven't ordered it yet, is uh, the Baseball America Almanac, which has the complete summary of everything that happened in baseball in 2023. And when we say that, we mean the majors. We mean stats for every player in the minors. We mean college what happened. We mean a, a summary of some of what happened in high school with an All-American team. We mean, do you know, want to know who won the net, the the, the honk ball uh, hoofdossi? Yes, we have the Netherlands in there. We have Italy. We have Korea, South Korea. We have Japan. We have Cuba. We have winter ball. Everything's in this. It's a 500-plus page book. Get that at baseballamerica.com slash store. Uh, you know, or just click on the little store at the top, shop at the top. And then also we are sending the prospect handbook out in the next couple of weeks, which is something that Jeff and I are among many others are very busy at work. Yes. And how are you held how are you holding up, Jeff? Not too bad. It's uh it's about to go into overdrive, into you know, warp speed, um, into just handbook and and sort of nothing else for the next few weeks now that we've gotten the rule five uh done and I've gotten the uh the first uh fantasy top fifty uh dynasty rankings. Exactly. And, That's also and what off the ground. So uh now I'm kind of handing off the keys to Dylan for a couple of weeks before I jump back in. Uh, it's a fun time of year. I can't wait. You know, I uh, already have a few reports written for each of them. And, you know, it's uh, just a matter of working my way from 11 to 30 on all these uh, four systems. I think I figured it out that I have uh, so it's 20. I've got 80 players left to go. But then I remind myself I wrote 20 on Saturday and Sunday. And those were longer reports. So 80, not a problem at all. Here we go. But that's a fun way to wrap this up. So be checking that out. And again, we do appreciate all the subscribers who are supporting that allows us to do this. That's why we are able to write up 55 plus players so that you are prepped and ready when the Rule 5 draft rolls around because we care about this, but we care about this. We also care about producing this for you, our subscribers, because you are what allows us to do this. So with that, for Jeff, I'm JJ. So long, everybody.